exactly does it mean to share your hotness? We all have our own unique spark. We are burning out of control like a wildfire, attracting attention, but is it the right kind of attention? All around us are people who are campfires. They don't get as much attention, but their story, their signature spark, their heat that attracts us close to them, those stories need to be shared. On this podcast, we're sharing their stories. Their stories of resilience, overcoming, how to find joy, happiness, everyday people who found their spark and made their life amazing. Hello and welcome to this episode of Share Your Hotness with your host, Lita Green, and my guest today, Reagan McFadden. 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 Okay. <laughs> yes, yes of course. <laughs> McFadden. Well, hey, we never make fun of anyone's names because I had the most epically weird name. My maiden name was Mon, so my name was Lita Mon. As in yes. lead them on. <laughs> yeah. So um I dated a guy that was named was Charlie Brown and I was really nice to him about it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so um okay, so Reagan and I met at a little boutique. I do um a few shows a year. I think I do like eight big shows that I do. And this one was just a little cute little show with not there were more vendors than customers, I think. <laughs> Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it was you know? put on by a high school, so that's understandable. Yeah, so. but it's just right by my house, and I was like, why not? And sometimes those can be quite lucrative, and my mm -hmm. per hour on that wasn't bad, so I'm not, I'll do it again, you know? But there oh, yeah. weren't a ton of people, but the people we had, we could spend time with, you know? Definitely. And Reagan, um, where I'm selling a, a manufactured product that's made in a lab, Reagan was one of those cute ones that makes cute little you know, and just adorable, but she's like all spunky. Um, um, <laughs> I bought a sticker from you. It's not on my water bottle in front of me. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you want to tell them a little bit about that and then we'll go into the juicy stuff. Yeah. So my little shop is called crafty corners, uh, crafty with an E Y at the end because crafty with just a Y was already taken. Got um, it. but I hand make Basically everything, I hand make all of my jewelry and my pins. Uh, I have little pins that are based off of Squishmallows and uh, all my necklaces are beaded necklaces that I hand make and I, you know, I put that pain into it. Um, but I also have stickers and sunglasses and just a little bit of everything because I know that there's probably someone who is looking for something and just wants to find that thing. And so that's what I put into my shop. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and she's also, since you can't see her, you can hear it in her voice, but she's like just this cute, spunky, I'm guessing you're like 19, 20. I'm 20. I just turned 20. Oh, she just turned 20. So I was right yes. on. And she's just as cute as you think she is. She just, <laughs> you know, and then her little, her display was, she didn't just like lay it out on a table. She put it out all cute and sweet and had oh, height yes. levels and just was adorable. So I had to buy yes. stuff. Um, I, I'm fresh out of the need for, um, puff mellow, um, pens, but maybe <laughs> I just need to broaden my horizons. Right. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. At 50, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to have, I mean, I guess I can do whatever I want. I'm 50. Hey, I still sleep with stuffed animals and I'm married. So <laughs> yeah, well, you know, there's, there's a, uh, I have moose in my room. Um, my favorite animals, moose, but you can't have them as pets. So I have cats. Um, there you go. <laughs> okay, so I can't remember exactly how we got into it, but what I loved about how you presented the the topic that I wanted to talk to you about mm -hmm. was you just were very casual about it. You didn't look mm -hmm. at me like, oh, feel bad for me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there was, it was just, here it is. And I think in our society, there's things that we need to normalize the conversation around. And mm -hmm. there's some things that we just need to not... um it's like people get so wrapped up in being a victim of something that they make it their identity. And the yeah. goal is to normalize the conversation so we can help people overcome these things, not embrace them as their identity. And so mm -hmm. I, do you remember the sentence you use where you just kind of have, you, was I the first person you did that with? <laughs> um, so 
basically what I remember is we were sitting next to a cookie booth and one of the one of the vendors there who was actually an old mentor of mine at that high school uh, had mentioned that if he ate another cookie, he would gain a couple pounds uh, because he's been trying to lose Which, a lot way, of weight people, recently. By the way, people, you don't gain two pounds from eating one cookie. <laughs> exactly. Okay? Um, but it was mostly just a joke. And I like I laughed at it and I said, well, I'm actually proud that I've gained a lot of weight recently. I had an eating disorder for a long time and I lost a lot of weight and I'm still technically underweight for my age and my height. Um, I'm 118 pounds, uh, which is, I think, five pounds under what I'm supposed to be. But I haven't been 18 pounds for, you know, five years. I've been, you know, 100, 110. And that was a struggle. Um, but I, I just kind of proudly said, like, yeah, I'm proud that I've lost weight be- or I've gained weight because gained weight, right. that's something that not a lot of people are happy about. But I'm very happy about it because that means my body's getting healthier. Um, and my husband has been such a great help in that because he eats like a vacuum. Like he just takes everything in. And so he just makes sure he just makes sure that I am eating what I want and what I need. Um, and so and he's really good at that of being like, have you eaten today? And I'm like, no. And so he'll he'll, he'll push me to get to that point where I feel comfortable eating and everything. So, yeah. I just love that. It was just like, yeah. And you were, you know, you invited the the group of us that were there, you know, the, the cookie man, myself to celebrate with you, your victories. Yeah. You know, and it important. wasn't like, Oh, don't put cookies around me or, you know, just, yeah, it was just very, I'm, I'm proud of me for this. Yeah. And I loved that because <laughs> Um, I do not like it when we're, we're personally poopy to ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if somebody's like, oh, I'm so fat or I'm so, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm too skinny or whatever. It's like, well, maybe you're just what you need to be at this time. And that's okay. Yeah. You know, and our I've society- spent a lot of time in that, in that spot of, of just looking down at myself and not going to lie. It still happens. Like as much as I feel that I have improved. And I feel that I've, you know, gotten to a point where I'm okay with myself. I still have those kind of backtracking moments about, well, you know, I have stretch marks and I don't like those, or I feel like my hair is too curly at points or, or things like that. And, um, and so it's just, it, it is hard to kind of get out of that mindset, but even just the little things of like, I've gained weight, which is really good for me. And I've made sure that I'm taking care of myself. Like, that's awesome. And so being able to, like you said, call that like a small victory and be able to invite people to join me in that has been really helpful. And so what are some of the reactions you've gotten? Um, I'm assuming you're being comfortably open about it. Yeah. Have you gotten um, some poopy reactions? By the way, poopy is my swear word of choice. Yes, that no. is, I love it. Um, do we smear smear our poop on others? You know, yeah. that's that's poopy, right? You know, these <laughs> kinds of things. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have gotten a lot of backlash from people when I will when I tell people, you know, um, you know, I'm actually happy that I've gained weight. I've had a lot of people, oh well, I wish I could be in your shoes. Why don't you take some of my fat? Like, why don't you like this kind of thing? Um, a lot of um a friend of mine has also had an eating disorder. And when I talk about that, I have been eating more and that I have been gaining weight. She gets a little jealous of that. Um, and because it's hard. her eating disorder is also the anorexia. Yes. Her, her eating okay. disorder is also that. And she's like, well, I'm not at that place in my eating disorder yet. And I'm still, um, you know, she's still being hurt by it. And I, I know for a fact that I'm proud of myself. And so when I, when I share it with others, it's kind of a weird mix of both because when I just come right out and say it of like, well, I'm actually happy that I've, I've been gaining weight. Once I give a little bit more explanation, people are like, oh, okay. That makes a little bit more sense. Uh Um, But the immediate reaction is always how I know how they truly feel about it because um, uh, it, it is that kind of moment of, like, mm. well, I'm proud of this, 
please look at it. And then other people are like, mm, nah, because that's not who I am. And I feel bad about myself. So I want you to feel bad about yourself. And so, yeah. Okay. Say that again. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah. Very profound. What I want to make sure that we're, we're hearing. So you, you said their first reaction is how you know how they feel about it. And that, mm -hmm. you know, when you're feeling bad about yourself, you, you know, you smear poop all over other people. Right. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. my reaction was, Ooh, I want to have you on my podcast, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> yes. I, I loved your attitude about, um, so I guess mine says, Ooh, I have a good, I have a good, you have a good story that I want to have shared. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm it, gathering it cool people. Yeah, it is. A, like I said, it's kind of a mixture of reactions because, um, immediately when someone says, Oh, you know, you can have some of my fat or something. I immediately know how they feel about their bodies because mm -hmm. it, it is like, you know, I'm proud I'm gaining weight. And it's actually, uh, it's also a genetic thing. My dad was very skinny and my grandma was very skinny and they didn't start gaining weight until after they had kids. So in their, you know, their mid twenties, their late twenties. Um, and so when I tell people, you know, I'm, I'm glad I've been, I've been gaining this weight because I feel like I'm getting healthier. And someone says, Oh, well, you can have some of my fat immediately. I know you're not happy with your body and you wish you could lose weight. Like that is, um, like that is that reaction, that immediate reaction. And so, yeah. Yeah. I think that's an interesting thing because, um, I know in my earlier years, I have made that joke to people, mm -hmm. you know, you can have some <laughs> of mine or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I don't think it's ever been, I don't think it's ever been a reaction to somebody saying, oh, I'd like to be able to gain weight, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but just, you know, people being like, oh, you know, I wish I had, you know, blah, blah, whatever. And again, I mean, I, I don't know if you know this, but I wrote a book called How to Embrace Your Hotness and it's 15 Steps to Increase Confidence. And one <laughs> of the things I talk about is learning to love your body where you are now. And people, when they look in the mirror and they see, their um see their reflection and they have already internalized a message of being proud of what they see that their metabolisms actually go up which is helpful if you're trim you know or <laughs> if you're voluptuous right yeah but you know your metabolism is associated with mood right so we're yeah. talking about not just weight loss or weight stabilization you know mm -hmm. or you know different sides of that spectrum but you know, how you feel. You're like how happy you are, how you're processing cortisol. Your metabolism helps move that cortisol being the stress hormone. So there's a lot of advantages to having that. But, you know, when the person we love is like, you know, you're, you're married, I'm a married woman yes. <laughs> and our husband's like, you look great today. And our reaction isn't, oh. yeah, you know, whatever it is. Is it true? Like, do you really believe that? That's mine is always like, really? Am I, do I really look that good? Or like, <laughs> right. well, I would encourage you to start yeah. internalizing and accepting his compliments mm -hmm. to being like, thanks, babe. Give him a good oh, yeah. smack on the cheeks of, of kisses. Right. Yes. Or the kiss, right. But we, we get what we reward in the behavior of others mm -hmm. or what we will tolerate and um, what we will, um, what we feed in our own selves. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love and that. And that's what you're you're noticing through your story that mm -hmm. how other people are reacting in the negative, how mm -hmm. what that reflects about their internal dialogue. Yeah. And it, it definitely I've actually started asking my husband to use more adjectives when he describes me because I've gotten a lot of the, you know, you're you're cute, you're beautiful and things like that. But when I want my husband, when I truly want to understand what my husband is saying, uh, he will start using more adjectives. Oh my God, like, oh my gosh, baby, you look gorgeous. Like you just, you know, you're sparkling, like different words that other people haven't used towards me. Cause I can go, you know, and ask my dad, Hey, how do I look? And he looks, you, you know, you look fine. But from someone who I truly love from my husband and everything, uh, for him to say, you know, you look gorgeous. Like that looks, that is such a good dress on you. Or I love that necklace or something like that. He, uh, I can truly feel that excitement and that love from him. Um, and 
like we've started going shopping for my clothes together and when I can get his opinion on it and him being like you know I don't really like that dress on you it's not your color or something like that he's really good at that and being able to describe of more to me why I look that way to him or why I why I'm beautiful in that moment or something he's just he's really good at that and he Gosh, I love my husband and I might talk about him a lot because he's just totally he's fine. We are, we are <laughs> pro marriage on this, this podcast. The other thing <laughs> that I wanted to bring up in that I think we both talked about, you know, cause we're just talking about looks yeah. and how, you know, how our pres- husband approaches that, how society might approach that. But, <laughs> you know, we, as women, that was our value of how we could attract a mate back in the day. Um, Mm -hmm. something we just, this is the 27th of December. So, um, it would definitely not be before Christmas. This is coming out (laughs) the next couple of weeks. It'll come out. But, um, I always love that Mary in the, you know, Mary, the mother of Christ was Mm -hmm. described, not just that she was, I don't even know if it uses an adjective for her looks, but it was always her character. Mm -hmm. Right. And that is really, if you think about it, what makes someone the most attractive? The first few seconds is what we see. You know, yeah. I saw your spunky, like your you know, your big smile and your eyes are all bright and you're <laughs> moving with your words, you know, like yeah. I noticed that because I'm really into sign language, I'm fluent in sign language. And so I enjoy somebody who's animated. Mm-hmm. Like that's really fun to me. And to me, that will make someone more attractive when they're animated, right? Just yeah. more engaging for me to look at. I'm really visual that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's so many different characteristics that someone could do. So it's kind of a fun thought that you had your husband, um, you know, use more adjectives, maybe mm-hmm. ask him to compliment your character as well. Yeah. Oh, he does. And it, yeah. that is also very helpful of, um, I, I've recently had experiences. I, I worked as a substitute teacher for a little while. Uh, and I had an experience where um, schools stopped hiring me because of behavior that I was showing. Um, basically, students tried to bite me and I would restrain them. Uh, and they told me I wasn't allowed to touch a student. And I was like, I just saved myself a doctor's appointment. So, and students, we're broke. So. How old are these students that are trying to bite? They're like six or seven Okay, well, I'm glad um, it was ninth graders. No, it wasn't ninth graders. No, that was actually my favorite grade to work with was like ninth grade in high school because they honestly, those teachers were always like, they know what they're supposed to be doing in class. Just keep them on task. And okay, I was so really you're not allowed to restrain a child who is trying to bite you. Uh, is this not a common if you, problem. This is a problem that a lot of teachers are having where students are trying to hit them and bite them and like physically harm other people and other students and the teacher themselves. And they can't do anything about it because in the law, you are not legally allowed to touch a student. And so, um, and I also got I in trouble. I it was unless the child initiates it. Like if a child initiates a hug. That's okay. what I thought too. But no, it's, you absolutely cannot touch a student unless like they actually bite you or they actually hit you or something like that. Um, and mine was the student tried to bite me. And because I, I know what to do, I restrained him and the school you got mad at to me. wait until the teeth have clenched on the limb. Yeah. Huh. It's yeah, it's, and I might be incorrect about that as well, but that is from my understanding. My mother is a teacher as well. And so, uh, that's what she has told me about it. Um, And so, and then I went to another school and they told me I had an inappropriate conversation with uh, a class because a teacher walked in on me having a conversation about respect and how to treat others. Uh, And they, and the school said that they don't do those kinds of conversations at school. Um, And I got very frustrated at that. You went to um, what would be considered a, it's a, a charter school. Yes. And all along the walls, I noticed they had character traits like respect, integrity yeah, listed throughout the whole thing. So that must've been quite a shock to you. That, yeah, that made me very mad. Um, and after those like situations that I had, I completely like was looking down on myself. I said, I'm not a good teacher. I'm going to be a terrible mother because I, because 
I don't know how to treat kids apparently. And I don't know how to have these conversation with kids. And I went to my husband crying and just sobbing about everything. And he was like, what? You don't even have your own kids. Like we just got married. Like you can't come up with that opinion yet because you well, don't know husband. what you're going to be like. Yes. I'm with your husband on this and, uh, you know, just kind of being the big sister energy here or the mama <laughs> energy. I'm such a mom um, that I think that, you know, we, we have a failure and we mean it. We take it through a whole spectrum of what it means. Mm-hmm. And it just means this one thing. That's all it means is the yeah. one thing. And when we start applying meaning to our successes beyond the one thing or our failures beyond the one thing, mm-hmm. we are, um, we are, we're looking for validation too much. Right. right? And, you know, it's, it's when we're young, we want the approval of our peers because back in the day, if we didn't get it, you know, in our tribe, we were kicked out and we would die. Exactly. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so, but you know, that's kind of black or white thinking either I'm all this or I'm all poop, you know, I'm all yeah. awesome. And, you know, to kind of watch that in ourselves. And I think our brains sometimes kind of want to do that because it makes us feel safe, yeah. but really in the opposite, it makes us feel sad, you know? It does, and yeah. so just being like, okay, what's the new skill set? Maybe I should just be a teacher at charter schools that, and, you know, mm-hmm. when you go in for a new interview being like, Hey, what's your policy on biting? Because mm-hmm. I think that's a very good instinct to not want to be bitten. Yeah. <laughs> you would Especially think, by right? a human, <laughs> you know, our mouths yeah. are really dirty. I hear, I mean, I, I just broke my teeth, so I'm, I'm golden. I could bite. <laughs> them, but, right. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I was going to say like human bites are some of, uh, are some of the most dangerous bites because of all of the bacteria that we have in our mouth. And if you break the skin and then all of that bacteria gets into that body, like that person can get really hurt and really infected. Um, my, there was a teacher that my mother, my mother worked with who was bitten and it was, it broke the skin. She had to go to the hospital and get stitches. Um, and it was, uh, at that moment, like, it, it's so scary because you're like, oh my gosh, I could, I could get really hurt. And like I said, my husband and I are broke. We cannot afford to go to the doctor's office to get this looked at or to go to the hospital and get stitches. Well, if like, it happened on that. the job, it would be a workman's comp situation. So there, mm-hmm. there's, that's good. But I think it's a good instinct to not want to be bitten at work or otherwise. But yeah, the other thing thinking. about being a mom, cute Reagan, okay, <laughs> is it, even as an aunt, I will struggle in comparison to my own children because mm-hmm. that um, the parenting styles are different. Mm-hmm. Like my children, I would say things to them like, you don't have the right to make me miserable at two. If you want to yes. scream and cry, you're going to have to go do that in another room. But if you <laughs> want to cry, well, I hold you, we can do that. But there's a certain level of sound that mm-hmm. mommy can't do. Yeah. And I love and that. My, I think- my, by 18 months old, if they were screaming, 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 right. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'd go to them when they're just a little sad. So mm-hmm. we wouldn't get to the high scream. And yeah. when there was a high scream, I would look at my ears and make a face, Yeah, you know, <laughs> and, you know, just make that face. And they would literally lower the octave of their screaming, mm-hmm. you know, because I trained them that I would not reward that behavior. Yeah. And, and and that's something I've learned, like even just as a teacher or I was a babysitter for a long time when I turned 12. Uh, and one thing I learned was like, I just, if a kid is screaming, you're, you can't, you can't give them what, what they're screaming for, because then they think that's the way they're going to get it. Um, and we actually do that with our dog. (laughs) Um, if he's whining and barking, like, cause he wants to get out of his crate, the whole reason why he's doing that is because he doesn't want to be in his crate. And so right. once he goes quiet and once he relaxes a little, we can let him out. And uh, then he realizes, oh, if I relax and, you know, I take it easy, I can get out of here. Um, and so it's just, it's, that's something that I really agree with because at some point, like 
it becomes too much and you can't like you can't control what happens after too much uh or right. for the most part it's very difficult to control what happens and, and with how you own, react and so yeah and with your own children you will be able to reinforce a million times what is good yeah and not reinforce a million times the behaviors you don't like you yeah. know like my son when he'd have a tinter tantrum when he was a brand new little you know the first time he did it, I was shocked. I didn't know that was possible for my <laughs> my child. Um, I just stood by him and turned my back. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I was right there. I was there for him. He did it like three times because he didn't get eye contact or mm -hmm. anything like that. The behavior stopped. Yeah. Because it wasn't rewarding it, you know, but so often I was at a parenting, I was at a, I was at a thing where I was one of the older ladies and most of the women were um th that were there had children that were like five eight years old you know yeah. someone. and one of the lady I made the comment just like well it's not our job to entertain our children and they were all like what what and I was like huh Did I didn't realize I'd said something profound mm -hmm. and then we ended <laughs> up having this huge discussion that our job is to teach them to be functional humans yeah not to entertain them and I think it's led to a lot of our problems as, you know, we've got these cellular devices that are tools for good or for bad, mm -hmm. but that children have to be entertained at all times. Mm -hmm. And I would recommend as a parent that you use the device of entertainment, AKA the cell phone TV sparingly as oh, yeah. a intermittent thing so that they can be bored. That boredom yeah. is a good thing our brains because anxiety <laughs> grows in the lack of boredom boredom actually mm -hmm. is an anti-anxiety thing um mm -hmm. crafting is an anti-anxiety thing right mm -hmm. that it helps us kind of be like oh what if i did this and what if this happened and and yeah. so you know engaging children to help them to process their emotions instead of learning how to distract away from their emotions yeah and and that's something that granted i can't say anything because i am like i said i am not a mother yet um but i have worked with kids is that we we're in a society right now where it, you know we've gone a little soft and there's not really a, a punishment and it's okay i'll we say it. gone, we've gone a lot soft <laughs> uh, but there's no punishment anymore like i remember i wasn't spanked but I remember that I was put in time out a lot and I was, and I was spanked one time. And now that I think back on it, I deserved it. I completely deserved this spanking. And I like, I realize now that the punishment that I got made me realize, Oh, if I do this, there's something that's going to happen. Yeah. And, and so obviously like I can't, you know, I can't spank a student or I can't put a student in timeout, but there has to be. You can't some put a kid in timeout? It depends. It depends. It depends on what the situation is and where they are and everything. Uh, a lot of students have just learned that I have feet so I can stand up and run away. Uh, so if you try to put them in timeout, you either need to be standing right there and staring at them or they stand up and they run away because that that's what they know like I and I knew when I was put in timeout I could not move from that spot if I moved I would have to add more minutes to that time right or I would have to go and do a chore or something that I didn't like to do um and so it's it's like there's no punishment anymore and I'm not saying that we should be you know cruelly punishing our students or our kids but if they don't have that punishment, there's no realization that they can or cannot do that. And so Reagan, it's their truth. It is their yeah. truth to fly free and to do whatever the crap they want. And exactly. I, I, when people say this to me, I'm starting to get, be like, no, that's your opinion. Mm -hmm. You know, there are things like gravity that are true. Yes. And you try to defy gravity. There's a song. I get that. It's a great song. We all love that song. Right. <laughs> right. Anyway, I won't sing. Um, but it doesn't make it true. Yeah. And I think the purpose of life 
is to be finding out what the truths are. Mm -hmm. Right. Because those can become a foundation of when you're disappointed, when you're hurt, that you know what is true. And so circling that back to what we were talking about earlier with our bodies, you know, I, I am a woman that my people genetically um, become very large, very, Mm -hmm. very abundant. And so it could be some genetics. It also, I've been to family gatherings and I see what people eat. Mm -hmm. And if it's all carbs and sweets, is it (laughs) right? Like there's like, Mm -hmm. there's a, genetic component like you were talking about your dad being really trim and then my family where we're very abundant um but you know I know certain habits that I have that food is something that I have a lot of issues around and mm-hmm. so I joke that there's a heavy woman trying to eat her way out you know <laughs> because food for me is the opposite it sounds like what it is for you mm-hmm. where I I love the way the texture of food and the chewing of the food, all of it. I love all of it. And it's very Mm -hmm. soothing psychologically to me. Um, And so that would be my struggle is to be maintaining a consistent weight Mm -hmm. on the opposite side where you're struggling to maintain a consistent weight, but you know, in the other direction, like, yeah, in the other direction. (laughs) And The truth is when you look at any individual, I had this really profound lesson when I was um, in the third grade, it was from Mrs. Gage. And she, we, she wasn't my third grade teacher. They would, the teachers would swap who the teacher would be with, you know, who the kids would be with and maybe to do prep or something. I don't know what it was. Um, But anyway, a bunch of us were in Mrs. Gage's classroom. And one of the kids called Mrs. Gage fat. Now, Mrs. Gage was what you would classify as abundant, overweight, yeah. right? Um, and instead of turning to that child and being like, that is rude, you can't say that or whatever, she educated us and that she has a thyroid condition. Now, this would have been early, so late 70s. And I haven't looked this up to find out, but I really doubt they had thyroid medicine as dialed in as they have it today, you know, mm-hmm. and a messed up thyroid can make you over, over thin or overabundant, Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, so she gave us this lesson about how, how she has this malfunctioning thyroid. Mm-hmm. And for the rest of my life, when I have looked at people who have a lot, I have thought to myself, they might have a thyroid thing. Mm-hmm. They might have a food thing. They might have had a great loss in their life. And I start to ask myself, what's the story? I like Instead that. Of just making, um, and you know, when I look at really trim people, I think she probably works out more than I do. <laughs> yeah. You and, know? Yeah. And training and, ourselves to give people grace where they are again she might have better genetics in that department than i do but Mm -hmm. if we're judging ourselves and judging others simply on that first impression of appearances Mm -hmm. we are really missing out because i just thoroughly enjoy talking to you you have (laughs) such an engaging personality that i need you to be a great pod podcast uh, podcast guest before yeah. <laughs> I had even know, I mean, I had, I wasn't thinking about it, but you know, just mm-hmm. when you said that, I was like, oh, she's going to be a delight. I would love to have her on, the <laughs> you oh, know, yeah. and those are the things that we need to train our brains to go from, you know, family, family judgments. Like my family, when they see someone who's really trim, the judgment is going to be critical on my dad's side. Mm-hmm. On my mom's side, it's going to be praiseworthy. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of eating disorders on my mom's side. So for me growing up, it was like, which is the right, which is the right thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, and the the right thing is just to take people as they are and mm-hmm. to learn their story. Yeah. And I love that. And that's something that I know I have struggled a lot with, um, with an eating disorder. It's so difficult to look at someone who's a bit bigger and go, 
you know, man, I, I wish I was like that. Like, it's very difficult to not do that. Um, and to, you know, ask for a little bit more meat on your bones or a little bit more, cause I've always been skin and bones and, um, and then made it worse because of, a, uh, mm. because of my eating disorder. And a lot of because, what I've realized, and I'm going to challenge you to be like, because of the eating disorder, because of the eating disorder. Yeah. Make sure it's not my, as a part it's, of yeah. your identity or, and my connotates ownership. Yeah. And as you're in recovery, you can move that further and further away from you. Personify and, it and not have it be you. That's something my dad's taught me a lot. <laughs> yeah. And in my second book, Love Me Too, is, is talking about sexual abuse. But mm-hmm. I do not call the man that chose to molest me my abuser. Yeah. Because I do not own his behavior. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's really powerful because, again, our society is really into wrapping up what is um you know unique about you or um a characteristic like who you sleep with what your religion is what your color is Mm -hmm. these are things that um i you know that are not changeable and they wrap them up well i mean i guess religion is technically changeable but for me it's Mm -hmm. not because i know things you know yeah Um, but um you know being male or female or, or something else they wrap it up as your identity. And to me, the least interesting things about a person is what they look like. Mm-hmm. That's the least interesting thing to me about a person. Yeah. And, it, and it, who they sleep with is private, you yeah. know? So wrapping these things up as our identity um, wraps us up into ideas that we can just kind of get on an idea, idea train Instead of analyzing, do I want to be on this journey? Yeah. And it's also it's also damaging to children who have to be around it and live with it. Um, and because their minds are so impressionable uh, that uh, I like to think of like a ball of clay. Um, and you, every time that you, you know, put your thumb into clay or every time you move it, it's going to shape and it's going to form. Um and the more that kids are around that kind of that kind of culture is going to really around be negativity, around positivity, yeah. around anything. Yeah. yeah, it's going to affect them. It's going to affect who they are going to be as an adult. I grew up with, I grew up with, like you said, kind of both sides, and th- like I grew up with my mom really struggling with. Uh, identity and what she looked like and everything like that and then I grew up also with my dad being like I like who I am and he was in the military so working out was his culture so he was working out because he needed to because it was a part of his job if he reached a certain you know weight limit uh he couldn't be in the military anymore and so it like I grew up with both sides and like you said it's those clashing ideas is like well what do I do with that? Like, who do I become? And I, um, I, I, I really truly love the influence that my parents had on me. Um, it was very important and very uh, special to me. I think any parent can agree with that. Is that the way that you act around your child is going to grow up, and they are going to act like that too <laughs> at some point. Um, well, and I, I always hesitate with this because I came from a, um, a dis, you know, what we would classify as a dysfunctional situation. Yeah. At some point, yes, I've had to do a ton of work on myself, mm-hmm. a ton of work. At some point, yes, we are a product of where we come from, that mm-hmm. unique combination in each of us between our genetics, the way our brain chemistry is, to the situation we play, find ourselves. But at some point, we are individually responsible for how we show up in the world. Completely agree. I completely agree. And that was something that when I started finding my myself, uh, I really, truly was afraid to talk to my mom about it uh, because I was afraid she was going to tell me, you know, well, that's not how a woman is supposed to act and, or, you know, like, cause that's what I saw in women is women were always 
judging themselves and always saying, you know, this is what I look like. And I wish I had this. And I wish that was gone yeah. or something like that. But when I finally like told my mom, I was like, mom, I think I, you know, I'm not eating as much as I was because it, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, I felt like I was fat kind of thing. Um, it was, I had an eating disorder because I felt like I was unworthy of it. I felt like I was unworthy of the love that my parents were giving me. I was unworthy of my friends and I was, and all of that encompassed into my food and how I ate. I felt like I was unworthy of food. So I didn't deserve to eat food. And oh. at at one it's point, one actually, Reagan. I know, yeah. right? Um, but it, and which also encompassed to, I felt like I didn't deserve life. Um, at, at some point in my life, I did have that moment of, I, I didn't deserve to be alive anymore. Um, oh. And when I went and I told my mom, mom, this is what's going on in my life. I was so terrified. But she welcomed me with open arms and she said, sweetheart, I don't care. You are on this earth for a reason and you are my daughter for a reason. You are teaching me new things every single day. I'm teaching you new things. And I just absolutely loved that I didn't have to be afraid. And it was myself that just said, I'm going to get in so much trouble or, or something like that. It, and when I finally like told my mom, that I was really struggling and that I needed help. I am so glad that I was welcomed with open arms. And she was like, you know, what's the next step? What do we need to do? Do we need to take you to a doctor? Do we need to go to a therapist? Do we need to all of these different things? And not only did I teach, did she help me teach myself um, what I was supposed to be doing? She also taught herself. So when I got a therapist, my mom got a therapist because she knew that there was something she needed to talk about. Uh, when, you know, when I wanted to start eating more, she started making meals that I really enjoyed and then also started to realize her relationship with food and taking care of that and everything. Um, and I get teary eyed over it all the time because um I put it in the bio that I gave you guys that I just want to thank my family for everything in my life because I wouldn't be who I am today and I wouldn't be here without my family um, and without their influences and everything. I mean, and there's a lot of people I know for a fact, there are not a lot of people who have that relationship with their parents, but I know when I'm frustrated, when I am sad, when I am happy, if whatever emotion I'm feeling, I can go to my parents and I can feel that with them and I can have that love. And it, it, it just, I just love it. I'm so very grateful for my family. I have a little brother who, uh, he's just two years younger than me. Um, and to be able to kind of teach him as well as my parents teaching him has been really cool and really uh, exciting. He's he's 17 now, which is crazy. It's always so weird to see little siblings grow up and everything. Um, but he's got a girlfriend and him being able to come to me and ask me my opinion about girls and how like, you know, when a girl does this, what can I do? What can I do to help and everything? Um, or, you know, that excitement that he gets when um, when he wants to tell me something or when something is important to him. Um, I just, I just love it. And so I, I really am so very grateful for my family because they've supported me in everything that I do. Um, my, my father and my brother were a huge influence on the boys that I dated. Uh, and my dad set the bar super high <laughs> when I started dating. Uh, when I turned 16, my dad took me on my first date, uh, and he took me out to dinner and we dressed up and, uh, he just set like what the expectation of what boys should do, uh, and, or what a man should do. I should correct myself. Cause not a boy, a man, what a man should be doing on right. a date and, uh, you know, how they should act towards you and everything. 
did I still date a couple of jerks? Yes, I did. <laughs> like, there's no doubt about it. It's a rite it. of passage. You have to, uh, to know mm-hmm. the difference. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, um, I'm very lucky and I'm very appreciative of it, of everything that my family has done for me. Um, and that same goes towards my husband. I always said I wanted a man like my husband and I got that, uh, or a man like my father as well. And just that, uh, there's not a lot of people. I know there are not a lot of people who can, who can say that, uh, who say that they want a man like their father. Um, and, uh, I am so very, just very thankful of it all. And that I have people in my life who do support me in all of that. So when I say, you know, I want to gain, I want to gain weight. It's immediately, okay, what can we do to help? What is something that, you know, you need help with? Um, my parents, when we first got married, my parents made fun of me for not being able to make food because I didn't make food a lot. Um, and I got really frustrated by that. I was like, you know what? I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to make meals. And then I realized that they're like, they're joking about that actually pushed me to do it and to push me to right. like, make sure that I was actually cooking food and taking care of myself. And I just love that. I think that was awesome. And it was such a good, like, good experience that I was able to learn from. And so, yeah, it's just something that I I could talk about for hours because just my family, my family's influence on me is, has been a positive one. And I'm very grateful for that. Well, I, um, I suspect you believe as I do that, you know, the family is an integral unit of society and mm-hmm. when any institution, government or otherwise negates the value of family, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're, we're, that's a super poopy because mm-hmm. we're all going to have challenges in our lives and your particular challenge that you've shared with all of us, I'm sure you've had others is, mm-hmm. you know, having, um, having an eating disorder and mm-hmm. how much easier that challenge has been made because of having a supportive family. Mm-hmm. In in contrast, I think a lot of times parents think if their kids struggle, they did something wrong. And I just will gently put out that nobody in this life gets out of it without mm-hmm. challenges. And, you know, death is not easy. And that's a challenge. If that's the first one they have, that'll be pretty upsetting for them. Right. So challenges happen. Mm -hmm. I had an instance with one of my children where they were in a lot of pain and I was very distressed. And I called a friend of mine who's a therapist and I was like, and I made the phrase, well, I don't want them to hurt. Mm -hmm. And I I know in my logical mind that that is an unachievable goal, but when they're hurting (laughs) that much, you know, I forgot that. Yeah. And my friend says, oh, oh, you don't want him to have a fantastic life like you've had. And I was like, oh, because these challenges, I mean, it was like, boom, it just got through all that emotion and was like, here's Mm -hmm. the truth. Right. And Mm -hmm. it made me thankful that that was his challenge. It made me Mm -hmm. thankful that I cared for him and that I was there for him. And that's what families are there ideally there to be is to be Mm -hmm. there for each other. And I'm so glad Reagan, that you have that supportive family. And I also love that your mother went to the effort of realizing what was her part, not to take it on as total ownership because it's your, it's your life, Mm -hmm. but to realize how she could improve to support. We're never done learning. Oh yeah. And my mom just, she, I hope she's listening to this because, because uh, I, I was super excited and I basically told everyone I knew, Hey, I'm going to be on a podcast. Um, but, uh, I hope my mom is listening to this and I hope she knows that everything that she did for me was, was for the good and was always because she loved me. Um, and I, I learned how to love because of her. I think that's one of the biggest things of a mother's role in a family is to teach how to love and to teach how to support. And uh, like I said, my father was in the military. He was in the army and uh, he had to travel a lot. 
uh, out of the country. And I was very lucky. We didn't have to move with him. Uh, he was in the 23rd Army Band for like 15 years. Oh, cool. uh, so he, he just traveled a lot to go and see other uh, troops and to perform music, bring a piece of home, as he would say. Uh, and for a long time, my mom was a was a single mom, quote unquote, single mom. She had to take care of us by herself while my dad was off in a but different country. But he was providing a living. And oh, yes, I think, yes. so, I mean, I don't disagree with what, what you're saying because your mom had to deal yeah. with the day to day, but she yeah. wasn't a single mom in the fact that she had no money. Yes, yes, that that is true. And she worked as well. So she worked and she, um, right. and and my dad worked. And well, as we all know that army, army life pays tons. You know, my husband was in the army too. So I appreciate right. your dad's service. But I, yeah. I also, people, you know, are so quick to be like, they're a single mom. And I'm like, oh, he doesn't provide any money because oh, yeah. the role of what we're saying of women is, you know, to, to nurture, to love, you know, to, mm-hmm. to provide that heart in the home. And for men to go out and kill the beast and to drag it home, let's not overlook that. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, definitely. I, I wasn't saying um, you were, I'm just saying for all of those listening, <laughs> yes. right. That we want to be really clear that sometimes the father's not there as much, Yeah. but it's yeah. because he's providing. It which is, is too yes. bad. We all don't live on our own individual farms and we can see exactly what he had to do. He had to go milk yeah. the cows and, you know, get the grain yeah. and all that. Right. And it, yeah. and, um, but when it when it came to uh you know my mom you know who was feeding the kids who was putting them to bed it was right. usually my mom uh, and she did and, not day in and day out did not get to say oh it's your night <laughs> yeah no she it, it, that was kind of impossible um but it was it was always like my mom was always doing it out of love because she loves my dad because she knew what he was doing was good. And he knew, she knew that he was bringing in money and everything. So, and she also was doing it because she loved us. Like she, I mean, I don't think she would have had us if she didn't love us. And so well, um, people do, um, do make babies without thinking through that. But that is why having, being a parent and being in a family is our greatest source of challenge or a greatest source of joy, depending on what we put into it. Yeah. And so, um, but I'm just, I'm very grateful that my mom taught that, you know, it, there was, there were a lot of nights I do remember growing up. There were a lot of nights where my mom was just, she, after, you know, something went wrong at dinner or something like that, she would escape to her bedroom and she would just cry. And I, I remember feeling bad because it wasn't her fault it was, it was our fault. We were being jerks. We were being, we were being little snots to her and everything. Um, but I am, I, I was, I was grateful that I still had a parent there to take care of me and to, to, you know, we always had a roof over our head. We always had food. We always, you know, we always had those basic necessities. We always had a, dog to go play with when mom didn't want to play with us anymore (laughs) um and so i i'm just like i said i hope my mom is listening because i just hope she knows that i i love her to death and she has taught me so much in my life and uh i i want to be like her i want to be like the mom she was and and uh i hope i can be just half as good as she was so (laughs) well as you already said earlier um children you know, receive a template from their parents of how they're going to show up in life. And I always say that good parents, their children don't have to be in therapy to overcome them. Mm -hmm. That's being a good parent, right? You know, that, um, you know, a good parent is not the stumbling block for a child. And Mm -hmm. so I love that your parents were the people that lifted you up when you stumbled, that Mm -hmm. your parents were the people that helped you. And that gives you a pattern that you can improve upon because I believe every generation owes it to the last improve upon what the parents did. And because of your, from what you've shared with me, your parents willingness to have those conversations has not only helped you have that conversation earlier about what your challenges were, but when we talk about things, we are able to analyze them 
and we're able to look at what is true in them and what is not mm-hmm. and be able to overcome. Yeah. But when we stuff yeah. things in, we, you know, play games, we can't do that. Yeah. So in closing, sweet Reagan, who's just so <laughs> cute, and I'm sure all of our listeners just love your, you know, is there <laughs> any advice you would like to give to the listener on how to interact with those that have an eating disorder other than the great advice you've given, but is there anything that we've missed that you'd like to pass on? Um, I think realize that someone is, whether it's someone with an eating disorder, whether it's someone who, you know, is struggling in life, realize that they have their reasoning. Um, And whether or not that's the right reasoning, (laughs) um, they have a reasoning. And in other words, um, if you can understand it or not, is not the point. Yeah, exactly. Um, Whether or not you can understand it, just be there for them and support them in, in their health and support them in who they are. Um, I knew that was something that was really helpful. Um, One thing I wish we touched on is I really want to be an actor. Uh, And that, that started from when I was four years old up until now. And I've done shows and musicals and everything like that. Um, And um and when I felt that someone didn't support me in that and someone didn't love me in that, then I felt I felt not, you know, motivated enough to to go and do what I loved because I always knew that there was going to be someone tearing me down. Um and Again, that was also another reason why my eating disorder kind of developed is because when people started looking down on me and everything, well, if I'm not deserving of that dream, then I'm not deserving of food and I'm not deserving of life. Um, But if you can go to someone who is struggling and just say, you know, I love you, how can we get through, excuse me, how can we get through this? Or, you know, how can I help? How can I support? Um, um, then I think that's the, that's the biggest thing I would say is just, just be there and just let them know that it's okay. It's okay to, it's okay to feel a certain way and whether or not the actions are okay. Um, just letting them know that it's okay and that they're loved and that they have that support from you, I I think is just the biggest thing. Um, I, I, I mean, I'm religious. And so I've realized that a lot of what God has done for me is given me good people who love me like that. And uh, knowing that he loves me like that. And I, yeah, love just, it. yeah. Lo- so love, good. Love them. They're a child love of God. Of love self, them. love of family, and love of God, and how they all interplay together. And such a great mm-hmm. message. Um, so when you're going out there, when we are judging others, it's really a reflection of how we feel about ourselves. And so doing mm-hmm. the self work is worth it. Is doing the self work is worth it. Um, oh yeah. So thank you so much, Reagan, for yeah. being here on this episode of Share Your Hotness, and you're a total yeah. hottie. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for listening. This is Lita Green. And if you have enjoyed our podcast and would like to learn more about the principles that I teach as a speaker, I have a special opportunity for the young girls in your life. So I teach maturation programs. I wrote a book on overcoming sexual abuse and I wrote a book on confidence. And I've had a lot of parents, I mean, a lot of parents come and say, I would love for your daughter to be, my daughter to be coached by you. But in order for me to coach individual daughters, uh, that would be a lot of money. So I've come up with an idea of what we're gonna do. I'm going to do a group mentorship 
and you get to come along with your daughter. So I will be presenting principles that you and your daughter are able to go home and have a conversation. So really, you're the coach but you're being given a conversation opener. So far, I have eight workshop topics. So if you'd like to have more information about those, they are literally only going to be $40 each. And even better, if you have two girls, that's 80. If you have five girls or four girls or three girls, it's 100 per family. I am not doing this to make a ton of money. I am doing this because our girls need to have the information frankly, that I've been teaching for years. And I want to make that accessible to more than just the one-on-one that come to me and um, ask for my time as a coach. And because I'm, I have to charge money per hour, you know? So this way we're getting it cheaper and accessible and they can learn with others. And I'm hoping this will be amazing for everybody involved. So let me know if you want more info.